Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It is Wednesday. I am back, children. You're welcome. <laughs> You're back. You're welcome. You're watching AM to DM. <laughs> <laughs> Did you miss me? You know, after a 10-day road trip <laughs> and two days off, two whole days separate. Well, we actually did a thing last night. We did. A day and a half off. <laughs> I, I did. I, did I like miss your transparency. You. Yeah, I mean, listen. I, Isaac knows. I am. I am a performative extrovert, but I am very much an introvert. I can't wait to disappear. Mm. But after 10 days, I like woke up and the first thing I did was text Isaac. Like, so are we? Like, what's? And I was like, <laughs> what's the fire? And it was like, so how yeah. do you think? This shirt looks yeah, It was in no way important. It absolutely <laughs> could have waited until this morning. But that's the thing. Uh, I did really miss you. Um, do you have plans later today? <laughs> what you doing? What you doing tonight? Wow. What do you uh, What do you Look got going you. on? You got something this weekend? I don't know. Want to go got, to dinner tonight? You want to go to dinner? Here's the thing, man. <laughs> it's, it's people are making plans. The end of 2018 is coming fast. Our own Louis Peitzman tweeted, Me, I want to see you before Thanksgiving. Friend, sure. But Thanksgiving is next week. Me. And look at that cat. And that's just the truth. <laughs> oh, man. Can you believe that Thanksgiving is next week? Yeah, because my birthday is like the day after. <laughs> Monday, November 26th, Sagittarius season. I am open DMs. You can find me on Venmo if you want to pay homage. Let's not pay attention <laughs> to the holiday that everyone in the country celebrates. I'm so sorry. Shh. I'm sorry. Saeed's birthday is coming yeah. up. That is how we yeah. mark the fourth Thursday. Express uh, your <laughs> gratitude to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, here's my thing for Thanksgiving. Go ahead. You know, I know it's like, oh, it's already. I'm like, how is it not already Thanksgiving? It has been such a long year. 2018 has been like a century at this point. That's true. I will say this. I think Thanksgiving's a little wonky this year. I think it's throwing a lot of people off. And that's because Thursday fell on November 1st. Oh. So it's the fourth Friday of every November. But this November has five Fridays. Okay. So that is throwing math. that is throwing people off. Okay. Absolutely. Well, friends, forget Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> my birthday, November 26th. Because as Tolly points out, uh, the let's meet before the end of the year time is upon us. <laughs> that <laughs> that this is more my speed. That is actually mm -hmm. absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this: mm -hmm. Have you made any January plans yet? I'm working on it because I have. I, I I want to apologize to many people on air, but I, it, the list is long oh. uh, for people that I'm like, oh, we were supposed to meet for drinks or a dinner and da da da, da and it's like it's not going to happen, right? Because it's now it's at this point it is what like mid November, November it is November 15th? 14th. Oh, it's over. It's over because now it's like we all are in a rush mm -hmm. to take care of our plans before we begin to travel for Thanksgiving mm -hmm. and my birthday, mm -hmm. and then you come back and you're catching up again right before the you know the December holidays of which there are many. Not to, don't even get me started on the work party holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The and then you wake parties. up and your wig is askew and it's January 2nd. And it is January 2nd. I'm with you, man. I've already started making plans for, for January. Yeah. I am like, I am there. I think there's only six weeks left in the year. But Twitter, we want to hear from you. <sighs> Can you do next Tuesday? What about the following Saturday? How about never? Can you do never? What's your schedule look like the rest of the year? Is it too early to make plans for January, February 2019? Let us know using the hashtag am 2 Nobody should have to socialize in winter. Speaking of, I just realized I actually haven't made plans for my birthday. God! So. That's <laughs> the thing that's going to ruin my schedule. It's fine. <laughs> just blow it up. You know. I've been reminding you about that. I love to make an impression. Well, <laughs> here's a tweet from the Empire State Building herself. Uh, we are celebrating Amazon's announcement of H2Q coming to New York City by glowing in white with an hourly orange sparkle. Yeah, that orange sparkle is for the minimum wage. That's what they're... <laughs> it's an amber alert they're looking for. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But a lot of people did have a lot of feelings about the Empire State Building yeah. doing that. Our own Remy Smith pointed out that nobody responded positively to that tweet. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's the Empire State Building. How are you going to be mad at an Art Deco hoe? But <laughs> she sure did, get, sure did get ratioed for it. I looked in like the first or most popular tweet in reply to the Empire State Building. It's like a, the orange Empire State building in the Eye of Sauron. Ooh. And it just all goes downhill from there. Yeah, and, and, and that's as nice as it was. I'm sorry, Art Deco Ho got ratioed is going to be one that sticks with me. Know her. Victoria Walker had this to say about the new Amazon headquarters in Virginia. 
How are you all gentrifying an already gentrified area? What is a national landing? Yeah. And that is, of course, about how Crystal City Amazon is renaming their area, which was just remain, renamed like 20 years ago mm. to Crystal City. Yeah. So it's like a gentrification on top of a gentrification, a double gentrification. Which I feel like is a thing that has happened. Like if people know, you know, when, when we lived in San Francisco, I lived in Noe Valley, which mm -hmm. has been like gentrified like three times over at mm -hmm. this point. So it's just like more concrete over the pace. The thing that makes me mad about all of this personally uh -huh. is just Amazon, not only there's New York, not only there's Virginia, there's not only going over the deals, which we're about to in a minute. For me, it's that they had this Hunger Games style, mm. like fight to the death. And mm -hmm. so many smaller cities really pitched, really worked hard, really tried to make it happen. And it's so upsetting to me that they're like, ah, after a year, just surprise, we're going with the people that everyone kind of assumed we were going with. Yeah, yeah, it's trash. Mm -hmm. Well, BuzzFeed News reporter Leticia Miranda joins us now to help make sense of what she rightly describes as maybe one of the most highly publicized office openings ever. <laughs> Remember when they would just like cut a damn ribbon? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> good morning, Leticia. Hi, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I heard you had quite a journey on the subways this morning, which feels relevant. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, when people learned about Amazon coming to town and how much they got to come here, people obviously were like, well, what about the subways? Put that money into the subways. So. Absolutely. So yes. with that in mind, is it inaccurate? Are we being too harsh when we say it seems like Amazon has gotten everything it wanted and a helipad, you know, for fun, um, and the cities aren't getting much at all? Uh, so yes, and the state and city would probably argue no, <laughs> um, that the state and city um, of New York and um, Arlington, Virginia are both getting a lot out of it. Um, Amazon definitely got a, a pretty good deal from both areas. In um, Virginia, they are they got a uh, a, a huge tax break. Um, I think it was in the millions. However, in New York, uh, they got uh, what amounted to about one point five billion in uh, direct tax incentives. Um, and both of these uh, incentives are contingent on them being able to create jobs in the area, 25,000 jobs each, each area. Um, however, yesterday, um, Governor Andrew Cuomo and um, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio held a press conference where they um, you know, told the city and told everybody who was watching how much New York City was getting out of it. Um, and Amazon is pretty clear about it that uh, over the next um, 20 years, New York City will get $10 billion in tax revenue um, and in Virginia, it's uh, about 1.5 billion. Um, so it's a, uh, it's pretty. I, I guess the the city and the state's argument is that over the long term, they're actually getting more out of it. Um, on top of you know, kind of in in Virginia, recreating what used to be Crystal City and now is National Landing into sort of a tech center and sort of a hub for Google and Apple and all of these other tech companies to come and build. So I guess it depends on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, my question is, what does that do to help the MTA today? How does that help? But let's talk about how yeah. politicians <laughs> are talking about the deal. Business Insider reporter Eliza Elman tweeted this quote from Mayor Bill de Blasio. One of the biggest companies on earth next to the biggest public housing development in the United States. The synergy is going to be extraordinary. Mm. Yes, um, and that is something <laughs> that is, uh, you know, something that Bill de Blasio brought up yesterday. He um, had mentioned that just by Amazon being in the city, that sort of by osmosis, it would, um, for example, you know, be open to unionizing its workers um, and sort of become more of a pro-union type shop. Um, so this like it's interesting that this thread of like osmosis that by Amazon being in these areas that it will change its business model or corporate structure is is sort of a, a theme in these conversations. Yeah, I did want to ask about the New York City unions and the role they might play in the deal there. Um, I saw our own editor-in-chief, Ben Smith, saying that like maybe there's a disconnect in the conversation on Twitter about the role they play. So why? how does that factor in? Uh, so, I mean, I, I, it's, it's unclear as far as the negotiations that happened when Amazon came. I know that when Amazon builds here in Long Island City, that those will be union jobs. Um, but 
but yeah, I mean, it's not, unions are definitely a really strong force in New York City, but as far as the actual negotiations, I'm not sure. Honestly, I haven't done that much looking into uh, what what their role was. Okay, and then one more thing, I have so many questions. One more thing is, <laughs> what do we know about the FOIA uh, deal that Amazon struck with Amazon? Uh, yeah, so Virginia and Amazon um, agreed to uh, a, a FOIA term in their agreement to build this massive center. Um, so basically, Virginia will have to give Amazon a two-day notice whenever they get a FOIA request related to Amazon for Amazon kind of to get a heads up if anybody is poking around on the company. Um, this is a pretty common agreement between companies and um, states where and cities where they build. Um, however, you know, people pointed out that even though it is common, it does have sort of a chilling effect when it comes to um, transparency um, with, you know, as far as a company that's uh, that has over half of all e-commerce sales and is valued at one trillion dollars. Um, so there, there is a debate about um, to what extent those types of agreements are relevant and uh, to, to what end to what? they should be included. Right. Well, Leticia, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is clearly the beginning of a very long developing story. Thanks for having me. That was nice. They also kind of calmed me down a little bit. You know, like they, yeah, there's a okay. lot to talk about there, but I think it's always, you know, the FOIA thing had me a little worried and to uh -huh. hear her say, actually, you know, don't get me wrong, there's still debate to be had, but that's a pretty common thing. That's yeah, helpful. This, this aspect of corruption is normal at this point. <laughs> uh, well, well, let's take it to the timeline because there is so much to talk about and we only got to a bit of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on the new Amazon headquarters? Any other questions you might have? Let us know using the hashtag AM2Scam. AM2Scam. As we speak, ballot recounts are happening across the country for key midterm elections because the midterms just won't die. <laughs> ben Max, executive editor at the Gotham Gazette, wrote an op-ed arguing that the voting, voting system is, quote, broken by design. Ben joins us now. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. So let's start with what tactics are used to ensure that the system remains a mess? Well, it, you know, one of the interesting points I tried to make in the column is that it takes different forms in different places and it takes different forms depending on who's practicing it. The Republican tactics are different than the Democratic tactics. Um, you know, you have the president of the United States doing all sorts of things to try to threaten people and, and suppress the vote in some ways. You have Republican leaders in different states trying to purge voter rolls um, and discourage people from heading to the polls in other ways. And then, you know, at Gotham Gazette, we focus on New York and in New York City, elections are a mess every single time. And Democrats are mostly in control here and they're doing all sorts of other things that are more sort of they're not the, as as much of the overt type of voter suppression, but they're different types of disenfranchisement. Mm -hmm. uh, while Isaac and I were on the road, we were um, at dinner one night in, I think, Cincinnati, Ohio, having conversation about voter suppression. And I sighed so heavily, Ben, I blew out the candles. Um, <laughs> that really happened. <laughs> Multiple, Multiple dinner candles. Table. So something I wanted to ask you is, you know, I think about, you know, the Supreme Court decision on the Voting Rights Act a few years ago. Is there a point in recent history where we can say this is where, you know, our, our trends towards voting policy really began to change in a significant way? Are you you're asking if there's a, if there's been a shift in a in a positive direction or something that's gone in the opposite direction? Because I, I, yeah, think, I think it's gone in a negative direction. Yeah, no, I think so. You know, I mean, it's a mixed bag. It's a very complicated picture. And that was one of the challenges I was sort of wrestling with here as I was watching things around the country unfold, especially in Florida. And I was thinking about this another mess of an election we just had in New York City where 38 percent turnout, which was a jump from four years ago, a significant jump, even 38% turnout can totally mess with the board of elections here, which is, is completely incompetent. Wow. Um, so I think it, so I think it's a mixed picture, but I think, you know, in the, in the wake of what the Supreme court did with the voting rights act, certainly that's something we can point to, but I think it's also a matter of different, uh, gerrymandering projects that have taken place in different States. I mean, there's so many different aspects of what politicians have done to hurt uh, people's opportunities to vote and to not make it easy to vote. On the other hand, 
States have been passing things like early voting. There's there's now early voting in about two thirds of states. We don't have that in New York, which is an unbelievable travesty at this point. And it's something the Democrats here are, are promising to do in the new year. Mm. Promising to do in the new year. You did just touch on early voting, but let me ask Ben, are there other ways? What can be done to fix this? Mm. Well, there's a suite of, of voting and election reforms that make a lot of sense that some are in place in some places, some are in place in others. You know, one of the things that is most important that we really don't have in New York that I pointed out in the column is nonpartisan election administration. You have this strange brew in some places where you either have a Democratic administration or a Republican administration in charge of of the voter rolls and in charge of administering the elections. And that that doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, it's not always easy to figure out how to do these things in a nonpartisan fashion, but there are systems and there are ways to do it. Um, that make a lot more sense than leaving it to the parties. And, and what happens here in New York and elsewhere is that Democrats and Republicans wind up colluding, in a sense, to favor incumbents and the powerful um, that limits voters' choices on the ballot. And they, they don't pass things like early voting because if there's less turnout, it works for the incumbents and it works for the for the powerful. So I would say nonpartisan election administration, early voting, same-day registration, and no-excuse absentee balloting. I mean, those are just a few of the top lines. Mm. Don't leave it to the parties. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Ben. My pleasure. Thanks, Ben. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, Hella Opinions is coming back tonight, hosted by our own Sylvia Obel, a.k.a. Detective Obel. Queen Obel! Hella Opinions is all about black culture, black people, black Twitter, black excellence, and we are rooting for everybody black to join us at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on AM to DM's Twitter account. Join the convo using the hashtag Hella Opinions, and we will see you tonight at 9. Later in the show, I sit down with Creed 2 director Stephen Cable Jr. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. You remember those? You remember how the nope. buttons work? You remember? <laughs> Welcome back. We're asking you your thoughts on the new Amazon headquarters. And Betsy Appleton tweeted, relieved it ain't in Austin. That's about it. Ooh. Yeah. I and mean, could Austin take anything else? I mean, that's a, I saw a yeah. lot of people, though, from a lot of different I cities. was hoping that I'd be able to say, relieved is not in New York. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Ugh. Let's oh. burn it down. Oh, let us. Mommy <laughs> <laughs> Owl tweeted, my husband and I called my sweet 85-year-old grandma to tell her I got a new job. She congratulated us, talked for a bit, and then hung up. Later, she called me to say I should open a secret bank account and never tell my husband about it. My grandma is fierce. Yeah, I thought that was just like standard practice. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Anytime you couple up, mm-hmm. you start a secret bank account? I started a secret bank account when you and I started hosting the show together. Wow. Just, that is just... just survival. What, what, is, what is it? What's the Sagittarius season? It, uh, doth, well, it doth approach? Know me. All right. This tweet comes from Kalar Will. Verizon reminded me my bill is about to be due. They are so broke and pressed, nothing else to do. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way as someone who is a Verizon customer. I'm like, I don't listen. I won't lie, I'm a Verizon customer as well, uh-huh. and I gotta say this, I actually appreciate those, because I'm the type of person, you know <laughs> I don't have auto pay set up, because that's how the robots get you, so it actually helps to get that reminder. I'm like, all right. I use auto pay. <laughs> Austin James tweeted, I'm pissed I spent my skinny years thinking I was fat. Oh. That's just a real tweet. Oh, Austin, friend. That is just... Uh, welcome. Cheryl Strayed <laughs> has written a thing about this that's kind of quite lovely. You know, I'm not going to quote it word for word, but basically it's like, that's how you're always going to feel, so celebrate in the body you are now, because mm-hmm. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to look back and think that about right now. So don't get me wrong, I am also pissed that I spent my skinny years thinking I was fat, but I'm just going to start thinking this is skinny. Yeah, you think you're pissed now. Anyway. <laughs> this tweet comes from Z-Way. It's an unspoken rule that if we have evening plans and it's raining, God has canceled our plans. Evening plans, morning plans, afternoon lunch plans. plans, lunch plans. If it's raining, I don't plans. want to leave the house. <laughs> Do you own an umbrella? No. <laughs> Christian, you tweeted, watching BoJack Horseman is all fun and games until you realize you literally are BoJack Horseman. People keep trying to get me to watch Mm. that show, and I, I watch an episode, I see it as well-made and very good, but I'm like, I can't, 
I can't do this. <laughs> I really enjoy it. I love this show very much. I feel Christian's tweet very much at my heart, but I'm also wondering, Christian, do you have a horse head? Because that would be... Oh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> I checked. I checked. What? Well, I, okay. Our tweet of the day <laughs> comes from La Utica. Are you ready? <laughs> 2018 is almost over, and all I got to say is, what the fuck was that? Mm. She gets it. There's still a month left. I'm just gonna say. Yeah. That's one of 12. Still a lot of baseball left in the game. Coming oh. up, I sit down with Creed 2 director <laughs> Stephen Capel Jr., but up next, we are going live from the district. Did she use a baseball metaphor? Sure did. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News White House correspondent Tarini Party. Good morning, Tarini. Good morning, guys. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Uh, Tarini, we wanted to start with this fairly recent but also evergreen tweet <laughs> from you. Uh, Tuesday in the Trump era, top cabinet official and White House chief of staff may or may not be fired. Another top aide might have been escorted out of the White House or might still be at work. Who knows? Who knows? Tarini, who are we talking about this time mm. and what's really going on? Right, so we're talking about DHS Secretary Kristen Nielsen. We're talking about White House Chief of Staff John Kelly um, and, and more reports that they might soon be fired. And then we're talking about um, Deputy National Security Advisor Mira Ricardo, um, who might have been um, who might have been part of an effort yesterday to be pushed out by the First Lady's office. So what we're seeing is just essentially heightened tensions and drama and knifing going around at the at the White House per usual. Knifing going on. <laughs> Pretty usual. That's a long list of names, though. I mean, you know. Okay, here's my question. Um, I found it uh, stunning, actually, given even what I've gotten used to, that the office um, of, of the First Lady uh, was calling, seemingly calling for Ricardo's ouster. Like, that seemed, even by the standards of this administration, to be bizarre. So do we have a sense of what's going on there? Why don't they like each other? It was quite bizarre, and especially because it's this first lady in particular. Melania Trump does not like to be involved, does not like to make public comments unless she really, really wants to. And so it was interesting that she picked this moment to really come out and pick a fight. Um, what we understand happened is this sort of beef between uh, Mira Ricardo and uh, Melania Trump is rooted in this October trip that Melania Trump took to Africa. Um, Ricardo's office was in charge in a lot of the planning and coordination for this trip. And essentially, uh, it seems that uh, she announced the trip before uh, the First Lady was ready and then sort of did not want to give as many resources as, as were talked about. And then uh, the First Lady felt like she, the, Mia Ricardo was uh, disparaging her coworkers and also planting negative stories, including about the First Lady. So she clearly is not happy with this lady and wants her out of the White House and wants her out of the White House. Let's talk about some of the other names that you just mentioned though too. Like John Kelly, I feel like I've heard this story once or twice before. So just, just to have like a little drop of suspect, how seriously should we take this? Yeah, so especially with John Kelly, I mean, I think it's, you know, we're about the, you know, three dozen times maybe this is this has come up in, in the last um, year or two. So um, I think this time it's a little bit more serious just because, uh, in, you know, since the, the midterms are now over, the president is looking to shuffle some of his cabinet members and top staff. Um, and the fact that he is considering firing Kristen Nielsen uh, could mean that John Kelly would leave just because they're very close allies. Um, Kristen Nielsen used to work for John Kelly. Uh, Kelly was uh, DHS secretary and advised the president to appoint Nielsen to that job. So if, if she is fired, it likely means that he will leave as well. Okay, and, and let's say that happens. Are, is anyone talking about who might be floated for these jobs? Right, so we're already hearing names being floated around. Uh, Nick Ayers, who's currently the vice president's chief of staff, is being floated for John Kelly's job. We're also hearing Tom Homan, who is um, a, the former ICE official, who also goes on Fox News and praises the president's immigration policies a lot. His name is being floated for DHS secretary. So, you know, it seems like something could potentially happen in the next few days. 
All right. Well, Tarini, thank Four you. Four minutes. Well, you never know. Okay. <laughs> right. It's like, check your phone right now. There might have been some new news on the time. Thank you for joining us, Tarini. Thanks, guys. And again, you've got her kind of saying the name's getting floated there. Again, people from television. Which yeah. is always of interest I just to me. Like, I'm like, whatever. Um, we have a tweet here from Pix Maven. Yeah, this whole first lady beef is so banana republic. That's what's yeah. striking to me. I'm like, listen, it's after midterms. It's the Trump administration, uh, musical chairs, whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, a, a first lady asking her husband because of personal differences to have someone who's responsible for national security, like. <laughs> I mean, not just personal differences, though. She was just saying that she thought she was leaking stories and putting bad stories about her in the press. You know, yeah. like, there is some, they, yeah. this administration, for as leaky as it is, mm. short as hate leaks. Mm. Well, uh, here's a tweet from Zoe Tillman. Trump's pick to run the Justice Department is already facing a constitutional challenge. Zoe joins us now to talk about Mr. Matt Whitaker. Uh, good morning, Zoe. Good morning. Good morning. So, Zoe, what's the legal argument against Whitaker's appointment? Uh, so, it really has two pieces. Uh, one has to do with the U.S. Constitution, which has an appointments clause, and that says that for very high-level, quote-unquote, principal officers, that they need to be you know, nominated by the president, confirmed by the Senate. And if that person resigns, dies, isn't able to serve anymore, the deputy, the Senate-confirmed deputy, is the person who normally would become acting attorney general. That would be the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein. Um, so the first argument is that a non-Senate-confirmed person like Matt Whitaker, who had served as Sessions' chief of staff, still a, a senior official, but not Senate-confirmed, the argument is that under the Constitution, he simply can't do that job. He can't fill that seat. And then the second part has to do with federal law where there are you know, seemingly conflicting statutes, one laying out a succession for the attorney general um, that you know, sort of specifies the order that that goes in. And then there's something called the Federal Vacancies Reform Act, which everyone sort of seems to agree would give, in theory, Trump the ability to appoint someone like Whitaker as acting attorney general, but the argument here raised by his challengers is that that conflicts and is in fact superseded by this other law that's specific to the attorney general's office. So we've got federal law, we've got constitutional law, and it's all just being swirled around in a, a big old mess yeah, right now. Yeah, it does seem that way. Is this about, the, uh, I mean, obviously not saying like people are being disingenuous with these cases and these arguments, but is the elephant argument in the room that actually that this is about concerns over the Mueller investigation? Yes and no. I think there are a lot of concerns about whether Whitaker should be recused, even if, let's assume, he is legally serving as acting attorney general, whether ethically he should be overseeing the probe in light of his public criticism it is certainly a major concern for Democrats and liberals. Um, but I think there are also just broader concerns about having someone um, like Whitaker, who's seen as more of a political actor, as the nation's top law enforcement officer. You know, we haven't heard from Trump who he plans to nominate for that job permanently. So Whitaker could, in theory, just be there for a while, not just on Mueller, but on all the you know broad range of things that the attorney general does. Right. And to that point, do we have a sense of what comes next in this timeline? As you mentioned, we don't know exactly how long Whitaker would be in this position. Right. Well, it's worth noting that we just got some news this morning from the Justice Department that they are, you know, digging in on Whitaker. They just issued an opinion, a legal opinion this morning, or at least a memorandum explaining the legal reasons why they are, you know, they believe Whitaker can lawfully serve as attorney general. So they seem to be in it for the long haul. Um, and under the Federal Vacancies Reform Act, there are limits on how long Whitaker can serve as the acting attorney general. Um, it's, it's a period of months. I'm off the top of my head, I don't exactly remember, but there is a limit. It's less than a year that he can serve. Um, and then the president will need to, you know, in that time period, needs to nominate someone to be the attorney general and go through the Senate confirmation process. Go through the Senate confirmation process. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Zoe. Sure thing. All right, up next, I sit down with director of Creed II, Stephen Capel Jr. Stay tuned. We got box? We got box? Ah! That's, that's, <laughs> that's what they do? Yeah. yeah. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Stephen Capel Jr., 
Director of Creed 2. What's going hey, on, I'm man? Good, man. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. You got the matching shirt with the matching shoes. I tried. I tried. Yeah. You got the beard looking sharp. <laughs> you were just mentioning your wife's a stylist. She's a stylist. Yeah, she does wardrobe, man. Um, we've been together since we were kids, 15 years old. Okay. So, yeah, so when you asked if I had style before, I was like, I'm not sure, you know, because it was so long ago. <laughs> she has always been making <laughs> sure that you look there. good. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, listen, Creed 2 looks good. Thank you, man. I appreciate it, it. It's exciting. But it is your second film. It is. What is it like? to be part of such a major franchise kind of so early in your career? No, I mean, it's an honor, one. I mean, I'm a huge Rocky fan, and so, like, I love Creed and what they did with that. So I think for me, it's, it's an honor, man. It's a blessing, obviously, to be a part of a franchise, be able to put my own stamp to it, but also it comes with a set of, like, nerves. You know? mm. Like, it is a sequel. It is about to go out into the universe um, really fast, and so I'm really just, you know, excited for people to check it out. You know, it's like it's around the corner. Absolutely. Yeah. Brian Coogler kind of hand-chose mm -hmm. you to yeah. direct it. Did he give you any advice? Yeah, I mean, him and Sly both, man, they gave me the same advice, which made me take the job and made me feel comfortable, which was you have to put your own stamp on it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you try to do what we did, you'll you'll fail, man. Like you have to do what you want to do and and make it feel relatable to you and personal to you. And that that made me feel great because now I didn't feel like I was stepping into a franchise film. Mm. You know, I felt like I was stepping into something that I can relate to, something that I could, you know, uh, use as a, a an outlet, you know, to express myself or express what I was going through in life. And um, yeah. And what is that for you? What 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 does that stamp look like? Yeah, for me, um, it was one of those conversations because I wanted to be my stamp and also Mike, who's the lead character, you know, mm -hmm. Creed. And um, part of it is legacy, obviously, which is a theme in the film. But at the same time, you know, we found ways to incorporate our own lives. Like, we're, we're, we're never finished, you know what I mean? And we always wonder if we're at the top of our game and Mike is, like, here with his life. And so it's like, how can we challenge that, you know, and, and see if you know, what does it truly mean to be a champion? What does it truly mean to be a great director? So some of the things we explored along with family, my relationship, I just told you I've been with my wife for like 14 years almost. Mm -hmm. um, or it is 14 years. Like, yeah. um, no, almost about <laughs> it, no, almost about uh, it. And so like a lot of stuff with Bianca and Tessa, I found moments, you know, as they matured through their relationship, mm -hmm. that was very personal to me and us and some of the stuff that we've gone through. And then of course, just the fatherhood thing. There's mm -hmm. a bit of a Drago storyline in there that people are gonna check out that I felt like I was able to pull from a, a deep place too, you know what I mean? With, you know, having a, a rough, um, upbringing, yeah, rough yeah. relationship to now trying to rekindle it um, is something that the Dragos are, you know, yeah. without spoiling a movie. Not spoil, not spoil, not spoil yeah. the movie. But what was it like to take Drago into 2018? You yeah. had Sly working on the uh, on the script as well, right? Yeah, no, Sly wrote the first draft, and man, dude, mastered like the format of like one creating characters, creating a storyline, and the fights, and how training montages work, and all that jazz. So when I came in. He was just talking about speaking to the generation, you know, and I think when I approached the Dragos was making sure they're layered, you know, mm. I think in, in the in, in the first one, four, um, he was very, he was like a comic book villain, you know, mm. in a great way. He was iconic, you know what mm. I mean? He was that dude. And for this if one, he we, dies, he dies. If he dies, he dies, I must break you. So you knew you had to pull some of these things from Rocky Four, but yet also find a place to keep it real. You know, mm. I think nowadays in 2018, you don't want just like a Drago 4.8 or whatever, you know, you want sort of some layers behind it, some dimension. And so we just kind of went from what we saw in Rocky Ford, the last image that you saw of him with his head down, mm -hmm. and kind of told a story throughout, you know, so you can see where he's at today. That's so smart, because that is such an 80s thing, right? Like the bad guy versus good guy. Yeah. And to give mm -hmm. depth really does feel like this 2018 thing. Yeah. Did you think at all about kind of how like, American and like Russian relations have changed over the last 30 years? Yeah, no, I have, man. That's what I was afraid that the film was gonna like really tackle, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? I was like, I don't know if this is necessarily the, the platform to do so, you know, with so many characters and so much storyline and, and, and the theme being about family. We didn't really t touch into it at all, mm -hmm. but it does play a character, you know what I mean? It is something that's important to Drago, mm -hmm. again, without spoiling it. Um, but <laughs> when you check it out, you'll see where it lays and everything, but we don't go into the politics. Mm -hmm. But it was just like, man, after 30 something years we're at it again and this is going on in the outside world and so it's like it's kind of surreal you know yeah. when we try to take it in but Sly himself he didn't even want to tap into that because it's all about the personal it's, all, it's about all about, about the, these relationships you were mentioning before it's also about being a champion being on top exactly what was it like to work with Michael B. Jordan right after Black Panther it was a headache it was a headache, it was a headache man. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh go ahead no go ahead talk no, trash Mike talk is trash. A, we always talk trash that's uh that's my brother man um it was great, man, to be totally honest with you. Again, I had the same, you're thinking, he's coming off of Black Panther, dude's gonna be like, his head ain't gonna be able to fit through the room. Um, none of that, man. A dude is like super competitive with himself. Um, he's a, a huge collaborator, and I think for us, we we're just really trying to 
make sure that the character popped, man. I mm. think um, we did not want it to be a full-on revenge story. You know, he, he played a very smart character in the first one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he came from an educated background. And so we're trying to figure out a way to, to, to have this arc, but not necessarily fall into the stereotypes too, man. I think it's something important for us as people of color, you know, being on screen and behind the scenes that we portray ourselves in a different light. Mm. And we're just really trying to tackle that, you know? And so, yeah, that and just like the way he chooses his workouts, like all kind of stuff, like to see him, it makes you feel lazy, man. How, much, how many hats he's wearing. He's a producer on this one, by the way, too. So like he really was hands-on, which is really so cool. So it's not just hitting the gym all the time. He's literally a producer on it. He's well. literally a producer. Yeah, he's trying to figure out, hey, how do we need more money? Do we need another day? Like I'm like, wow, man, to see him care about yeah. the project, you know? And it wasn't like, hey, I'm, you know, Killmonger coming back to Creed. It was very much like, you know, I, I want this project to work and he had, this ambition to kind of make it better than the first one, which I, I loved. You this know? is where the focus is at right now. Um, let me ask you, what other directors would you like to see kind of come up? We've got Coogler kind of taking well, this track. He's handing this off to you. Who would you pick? Who, who would do Creed oh, that's 3? A, that's a great one. Uh, who, uh, it's two that come to mind. Um, uh, there's this, I don't know if he'll do Creed 3, but he's a great director. His name is Shaka King. He's actually from New York. Uh, he did a film called Newly Weeds. He's a brother of mine who I feel like is super talented. Uh, worked in the indie space. Um, and then Mike. Mm. I'd like to see Mike do something. Ooh, put he Mike has great, the camera. You no, know, he has great sensibilities, man. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he's done some stuff with commercials and mm -hmm. things like that. I'm not think I know. And he's just a talented dude. And so like, uh, creatively, I think he'll flow. Scary, because I'm like, dude, I don't want you to put on this hat. Gotta, <laughs> You're like, you got myself. enough hats. Go chill. Leave a few hats for but, the rest of us. Yeah, but he gets the eye, and he's been around it since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, if you look at it from his perspective, he's seen what works behind the camera. You know, he's been on stuff from the wire. So if he wasn't on set shooting, he would be, like, behind learning stuff from behind the scenes. So, this is where he grew up. He this is where he grew this. up. And yeah. what about you, man? All right, so you've got yeah. this. It's incredible movies coming out. Um, it's so exciting. But if you were to do, a net, like, a Marvel movie or something, like, what would, what would the next thing look like for you? What's your Black Panther? What is my Black Panther? I don't know. I'm, I've been trying to, I've been thinking about that. We've been asked that question. And I don't know if there is a Marvel character just yet that I want to tap into. Mm. So I ask, that's one for the world. That's one for a conversation with Marvel or DC, whomever. <laughs> Uh-oh. Calm. Free in competition. Uh. <laughs> uh, but for me, um, nah, because I, I got to connect with the character. That's why. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think uh, Black Panther did a great job. The last Thor I really liked, mm. Infinity Wars. Mm. It felt like there were stakes there and, and the themes popped. Mm. Um, and I just want to find something if I can. If it's in that universe or if it's something that big that I, I have to relate to and connect to. So if there's a character out there, you know, we should start like a Twitter thing. Everybody start reaching out and figuring out what, what kind of characters they'll like to see. And we can see what, um, yeah, man, nah, no hit him yet. up on Twitter. Tell him some of your favorite characters. Because <laughs> that's, I, man, I got to say, I really appreciate your dedication to the personal and your dedication to the to the characters and it shines in this movie. Thank you, man. Man, appreciate thank you that. so much thank for coming on the show. Me. I really appreciate it, Steven. Creed 2 is in theaters November 21st. Take your family to go see it over the Thanksgiving break. Up next, some hacks to build a better workout. Thanks. So we can get like Michael P, you know? Get some of this. Work Smarter, Not Harder, brought to you by the new Google Home Hub, which helps me tackle my morning routine. Well, Alex Sulkin tweeted, I go to the gym so infrequently that I still call it the James. What a classic tweet. I love that one. So for those of us who relate too closely to that tweet, I am joined now by Teresa Tampkins, BuzzFeed News health editor to help us manage our health and fitness routines. Teresa, I'm so happy you're on the show with me for the first time, right? Yeah, it's the first time I'm really excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you with yeah. me. So you just published a piece yesterday about the new exercise guidelines mm -hmm. in the US, and you said they're not as bad as people may think. Can you go into them a little bit? Sure. I think everybody, when they hear exercise guidelines, they sort of roll their eyes and they think, gosh, I'm, not, I'm already not meeting those guidelines. Um, I think they're good news because for the first time ever, they've changed the definition of exercise a little bit. The last time they put out guidelines was 10 years ago, and you needed to do at least 10 minutes for it to count. They've done away with that. Now, any amount of exercise that you do counts. Five minutes, a minute, anything um, can add up to your total. What hasn't changed is the total amount of exercise. They still want adults to be doing about two and a half to five hours per week of moderate level intensity aerobic exercise, um, or you could be doing vigorous exercise an hour and a half to two and a half hours per week, um, which isn't that bad. It's really only you know, 10 to 20 minutes a day of vigorous activity or um, 20 to 40 minutes of moderate 
activity. And this is moderate activity can just be like walking, right? It doesn't have yes, to be. moderate activity is they've it's a very broad category. It can include walking farther to your car. Um, it can include raking leaves or gardening. So it's it's pretty straightforward. Even vigorous activity is climbing stairs. So it's not really running a marathon. Yeah, for sure. So an interesting thing in your article that you talked about was most Americans are not meeting these guidelines. And I yeah. think for a lot of people, it's really hard to just take that first step. I feel like once you get into that routine, it can be a lot easier. So do you have any suggestions for people who fall into this category, who just want to exercise, they want to be healthier, but they just don't really even know where to get started? So I think it's great. That's one of the reasons I really like these new guidelines is because um, I think you could just start. It doesn't have to be this big to-do or flourish of trumpets, I'm now working out. You can actually just start increasing your daily activity just a little bit. So take the stairs if you can instead of the elevator. So I think those are good things to do. I would try some things. Uh, there are more tools and free things at our fingertips than ever before. YouTube, there are a million great fitness videos that are free. Um, I have you know, have followed uh, Blogilates, Cassie Ho's workouts. She's terrific. The fitness marshal is hilarious. So I would try Love some fitness things. fitness marshal. <laughs> oh my God. Anything that's fun and will get you moving is good. And um, I, I would just think like, just try, try new things. Well, we have a tweet here from Laura Norkin who said, fitness Twitter, if I want to start working out from home, and I mean start, like from nothing. What do I do? So, okay, let's say that we've gotten past like you walking for 30 minutes every mm -hmm. day and now you're like, okay, I can do this. I want to work out from home. I maybe I can't afford a gym membership. It's not convenient. You mentioned those fitness videos. I think a lot of people though, kind of feel like they don't know where to start. They feel like they need equipment. Can you yeah. give them any motivation for that? Well, I would say the most important thing that I think that you can do is to work out with someone else. I think that that's been shown in studies to help. I think what you really need to do is maybe uh, connect with other people and walk or connect with other people and work out at home. And you can also do that with an app. Your, your phone is the most important piece of uh, exercise equipment that you have. There's hundreds of apps where you can connect with other people, have fun, make sure it's fun, and also uh, be motivating as well. Yeah, you mentioned your phone and there are so many great apps on your phone. I feel like though there's a lot of things that I think people when they recommit to health, like you know, it's about to be January 1st, we all yeah. know that's the thing coming people, up. <laughs> that's the thing people do, that they buy these really expensive equipment or expensive yeah. apps. Are there any of those that you really would recommend or would you do you think that there's a lot of free ones that can just do the job? I think there's a lot of free ones that can do the job. I mean, there's some things that you might might want to spend money on, but you certainly don't have to go there right away. I use Map My Run, I think that's great. Uh, the Nike Run Club. I've heard great things about, even though I haven't used it. Another great one is Strava. So if you like Strava. biking, <laughs> cycling, um, uh, the Peloton app, that's one that sometimes you have to pay for, and that's worth it. You can stream spin workouts at home. So I feel like there are a ton of free ones that you can do, and also you might want to think about spending a little bit of money on something if if you want to. And a lot of these things, like you mentioned the Peloton app, which is an incredible mm. app, not sponsored, just yeah, saying. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really, really love it, is you can do a free trial to see if it's something that you actually can commit to. Yeah, and it's also, you can pay month by month. If you pay a small fee to stream a workout and you use it for three months and then you don't anymore, then you can stop. So I feel like it's definitely worth trying. Well, Teresa, you motivate me, and now <laughs> we're gonna go walk walk around the block a little bit. <laughs> Teresa, thank you so much for joining me, and be sure to check out her piece, and let us know if you have any fitness hacks or apps you like using the hashtag AMTDM. Up next, Grace Bonnie is here to discuss her new magazine, Good Company. Good Company is a new magazine that focuses on the experiences of women told by women, and I love it. I love the first two issues I've read so far. Joining me now to talk about it is Grace Bonney, the creator of Good Company and founder of the beloved, truly beloved interior design blog, Design Sponge. You know her, you love her, so do I. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm so happy you're Thank here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, I mean, so let's just get into this. Um, so as we mentioned, it, the magazine focuses on women, the work they're doing, their experiences, and, and the writers, the interviewers are women themselves. Uh, what inspired you to make this the, the focus of the magazine? So I wrote a book a few years ago called In the Company of Women, and it was all about celebrating women from different backgrounds and talking about how many paths to entrepreneurship there are. Mm. And I wanted to keep those conversations going without replicating the book's format over and over, over and over, over again, okay. and to be able to use the budget that you get for a project like that to actually pay people who I think don't always get hired by traditional magazines. Mm. So this has been 
a dream come true project. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, I, and this is, I think, so true to you and, and everything you do with Design Sponge, but can you talk about how diversity, substantive diversity, illuminates uh, the work you're doing with the magazine. Absolutely. Well, I made so many mistakes in the early years of Design Sponge mm. and not making inclusivity a priority. Mm. And that is sort of where we start with everything now. And not just diversity for the sake of diversity, but having people um, in positions of power, being able to make decisions and having a voice. And I'm not telling anyone's story through my lens. They're mm. telling it in their own voice. Their own voice. Yeah. And, and again, you, you, you are very, obviously very successful. Um, and you have contributed so much to developing I think uh, engaging, welcoming conversation about entrepreneurship, which I appreciate. <laughs> um, but we also know launching a magazine is hard. <laughs> <laughs> it is not one of the easier <laughs> endeavors to understand. How much time do you have? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I wanted, you know, uh, what have been some of the, the lessons and maybe ongoing lessons? Oh, the ongoing lesson of how do you make print profitable mm -hmm. is one I am still learning. And I think sometimes the perception of success is so mm -hmm. different than the financial reality. Mm -hmm. And when you come from the background like I do of a free online product and then ask people to pay for things, mm. it's a really bumpy transition. So I am constantly out there trying to remind people of the value in these stories mm. and why it's worth investing in if you're able to, mm -hmm. and just trying to get that out there because these are people and stories that deserve to be heard and supported, and I'm just hoping we keep that platform to keep doing it. Absolutely. And let's talk about some of those stories. Can you talk yeah. about some of the stories Good Company has highlighted so people can understand, like, this is what's possible when we create these spaces? Yes. I think it's so important that, especially when we're talking about things like accessibility is a big discussion point for us and being able to have um, authors and writers and creatives from um, the disabled community being able to tell those stories not from a lens like mine but with each other mm -hmm. and there's a really great story about the radical monarchs which are kind of this incredibly progressive alternative brownies group okay. of young okay. girls in the Bay Area in San Francisco mm -hmm. and being able to tell that story from within the community and to see what's happening in the next generation mm -hmm. it gives me so much hope for what's next Next, and that's kind of all I care about right now is how do I find those stories of hope and then just hand the platform and the mic over to them. I love that. I love that so much. Um, we have a tweet here from Joanna, uh, and she said uh, about the magazine, it's so good. In fact, <laughs> let's not call it a magazine. It's a work of art. Oh my God! Work of art. So nice. I mean, hybrid. Thanks, and, and I agree too. You know, you you sent me an issue. You know, when you launched, and then I got the new issue with Lovia J on the cover, yeah. and I was struck by the beauty. And I think that is important for for print objects. So I wondered if you could talk about the relationship between the visual experience of the magazine, and of course, you're an incredible uh, interior design mind. <laughs> <laughs> it is. As somebody who works in design, I know how important it is that the cover of something be as beautiful as the inside, mm. because that's when you grab people. Mm -hmm. I wish it wasn't always the case, but. Mm -hmm. It is. And so George McKelman, who is our art director, created all of this mm -hmm. and made this happen. Beautiful. And this was the first project where I just stepped back okay. and trusted somebody else to understand where we were going and express that aesthetically with, you know, I think we work with over 25 different illustrators and artists for this project. And watching that all come together in print form is really special because it doesn't happen online. It doesn't happen no. online. And of course, because this is a conversation happening on Twitter, we cannot talk about creating spaces for women without someone inevitably saying, well, what about men? So what about men <laughs> in <laughs> the magazine? What about them? What about, what about What's the them? deal? What do no, they want? <laughs> um, no, well, it's funny. Um, I think most people assume that this project is only for women. And mm. the first issue was primarily women and non-binary folks. Mm. And the second and third issue in, do include cisgendered men, trans mm. men, trans women. Um, I wanted to kind of move away from gender, mm. but still always with an eye on whose stories aren't being told, mm. whose stories aren't being financially supported. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones I want to focus on. And I think right now, like white men in particular, have plenty of, of print space. I think they'll be OK. Yeah. Just <laughs> I think they'll for make some it. reason, I, yeah. <laughs> I have hope for them. I have hope for them. Well, I have tremendous hope for your magazine and Thank everything you. you do with Design Sponge. You're a delight. Thank this you. This is my first time meeting Grace I in know. person, so this was a treat for me. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. OK, the second issue of Good Company is out now. And as I always say, buy two copies, one for yourself, one for your friends, so you can talk about it. Up next, Isaac and I are going to read more of your tweets. Welcome back. Oh my gosh, I love Grace Browning so much. I'm supposed to go see a drag show with her this weekend. Ooh, 
Shea Coulee Very together fun. here in the city. We have a tweet about her and Good Company magazine from Princess Leia. Uh, the emphasis on who has stories not being told or financially supported. A queen. Now to find a way to get my copy over here in the Netherlands. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure Grace can hook you up. I was going to say, I have a feeling they ship. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. I have a feeling yeah. they ship. So, that yeah. is great. because It's, it's a just, beautiful yeah, magazine. It's, it's like gorgeous. It's just, like, I loved what you're saying about that because as an object, it is just a gorgeous mm -hmm. piece of work. Yeah, and again, it's, it's not just like telling stories, but also financially supporting people, giving mm -hmm. people opportunities to develop careers. You know, it, it just, you, she has the sense of, I think, um, multiple levels, mm -hmm. you know, so it's not just like a pretty glossy feature and then goodbye, nothing yep. else, you know. I love that. She builds. She builds, a builder. Um, we also asked you, uh, what are your social plans for 2019? Yeah. <laughs> 2020, what are you doing in June 2020? Um, our own Sorry, <laughs> says this, uh, I already have next April blocked out for watching and obsessing over the return of Game of Thrones. Oh, right. That's right, man. It's coming. Okay. The end is coming. Forget winter. <laughs> things, things are going to happen. <laughs> things are happening. Oh. Are you God. allowed to still watch Game of Thrones given I, how much I'm you love start. Outlander? Is that... Start. How do you I feel? We asked for your thoughts on the new Amazon headquarters, and Scott Hillard says, if I continue to live in Northern Virginia, I will have to continue renting for the rest of my life. And this is a real concern, and I saw it in New York as well, not that real estate here isn't already astronomical, but there were so many people saying that they are already getting phone calls, people are buying apartments without even looking at them, real estate, real estate agents are putting tons of people into vans and driving them around to places wow. out in Queens. Like, this is really going to affect the real estate market. And so, yeah, I think it's one of those situations, Northern Virginia, Queens, New York, if you don't own right now, things are about to get a lot harder. I mean, I, just a quick story. You know, when I was deciding um, to move back to New York from San Francisco, it was right at the moment when that was really speeding up. And I was paying, I think, $800 a month in rent. Um, and so I was just going to you know, pay the rent for one more month and then move after my roommate moved out. So I was talking to my landlord, and he was the nicest guy. He was mm -hmm. the nicest guy. And he was like, that's great. So it'll be $3,000 for the next month. And I was like, yeah. I will be gone in a week. <laughs> <laughs> Which is unfortunate, but that might be what's going to happen to a lot of people. A hundred percent. You know? A hundred percent. Well, uh, Call Me Jolie says, Dear Jeff, I'm assuming you're talking about Bezos, and not like, I don't know what other Jeff's on my mind. <laughs> Stay the fuck out of my hometown AM2 scam. I was like, Jeff who? What Jeff do? He's just straight <laughs> 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 How many Jeffs you got in your life? You know some names are a bit <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, uh, I think that says it pretty straightforwardly. That's, Good luck. That's how a lot of New Yorkers <laughs> feel. But thank you so much to our guests, Leticia Miranda, Ben Max, Tarini Party, Zoe Tillman, Stephen Capel Jr., Teresa Tampkins, Grace Bonnie. What a wonderful conversation. And Stephanie McNeil. And again, don't forget our own Sylvia Obel will be back hosting mm. Hella Opinions tonight at 9 p.m. right here on the AM to DM Twitter account. Join the conversation using the hashtag Hella Opinions. We'll see you tonight. And uh, I'm sorry, Hayes Brown and Stephanie McNeil will be here tomorrow <laughs> at 10 a.m. We'll talk to you later. Bye.